Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Early voting in Atlanta, a historic record. They've never had so many people vote on the first day of early voting. As far as history can tell, as far as records go. And yet I have in front of me One headline after another from last year, March and April, in which the media are trashing the Georgia state legislature, which is Republican, in which the Attorney General of the United States is trashing the Georgia legislature and bringing a lawsuit in violation, he says, of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, in which one corporation after another signed a letter condemning the Republican Georgia legislature, in which Joe Biden talked about Jim Eagle, meaning that this was worse than Jim Crow. And more people have voted in the first day of early voting in Atlanta than any time in modern history. Since early voting. All the talk about Republicans wanting voter suppression. All the talk about those racist Republicans, throwbacks to the 1960s. They don't want people voting. When will the rest of the country catch up with the rest of us? And understand what cynical liars, what pathological liars the Democrats are. Starting at the top with Biden, but working its way all the way down to local officials. Now, what are they going to say about this at CNN? 
What are they going to say about this at MSNBC? The New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS. What are they going to say about this at Major League Baseball? Coca-Cola and several hundred other corporate cowards and leftists. The fact is, all the legislature is trying to do was to make sure the vote is secure and the cheaters can't cheat. Nothing to do with race, nothing to make it harder to vote if you want to vote and people are voting. You had newspapers all the way up the East Coast into New England. You had NewJersey.com. You had newspapers throughout the state of California and the rest of the country because they're all left-wing quacks. You had PBS, NPR. Everybody threw in the Brennan Center and this center and that center. One think tank after another think tank. All liars. All liars. How many more times are we going to go through this, America? Where these people drag us into their hell that they create because it's going on and on and on. The Huffington Compost. Go ahead, Google them. It's one after another. They just trashed and trashed and trashed. You have Fortune. You have AP. You have Reuters. You have Vox. Yahoo. So many others. So many others. And you're not going to hear squat from one of them. It's just like covering up the Hunter Biden laptop. Oh, they'll get to it maybe in a year. They'll squirt out a little story here and there. And that'll be the end of it. These people lie and lie and lie about everything. January 6th. Dizzy Lizzie Cheney and the rest, self-righteous buffoons. Well, maybe we ought to remember January 6th, Mr. Producer. Maybe we should remember January 6th. What about January 6th, 2005? Should we remember that? What happened on January 6th, 2005? Benny Thompson is the chairman of the Stalinist January 6th Pelosi committee. And they desperately want to subpoena Trump and create a criminal situation. Uh, They're trying to litigate Trump to death. They're trying to leak against Trump to death. And of course, this January 6th committee has one purpose, to try and prevent Donald Trump from getting his good name back and from running for office and to damage the Republicans. January 6th. But what happened on January 6, 2005? Benny Thompson should know. He's the chairman of this committee now. The media know, but they don't talk about it. Byron York picked up on it at the Washington Examiner. The 2004 presidential election was a relatively close one. George W. Bush won re-election with 286 electoral votes. The Democratic challenger, 
John Kerry's 251. The vote counting went into the night and into the early morning of November 3. It all came down to Ohio, which had 20 electoral votes. If Ohio went for Bush in 2004, he would win a second term. If Ohio chose Kerry, he would win the White House. Exit polls show Kerry with a solid lead in Ohio. Many Democrats and some of the press, too, simply assumed that would be the final result. And Mr. Producer, you remember those those exit polls where they had Kerry had 16 points in Pennsylvania and I was on the air. And you remember what I said? That's not possible. They were wrong, way wrong about Pennsylvania, Ohio. In fact, they all admitted later, the, the pollsters, they didn't get it right. But that didn't stop the Democrats. In the early evening, Robert Shrum, Kerry's top advisor, famously said to the candidate, may I be the first to say, Mr. President, but Kerry's lead, if it ever existed, didn't last as the count continued. Bush took the lead and won Ohio by roughly 51 to 49 percent. In the end, he prevailed with more than 100,000 votes in the state. Then something odd happened. Democratic activists claimed that Bush had cheated. First, they accused Republicans of suppressing the vote. But of course, that wasn't really new. They always accused Republicans of suppressing the vote. Then they blamed the GOP for long lines at some polling places. Then came what today would be called the crazies. Some Democrats began to embrace theories that electric voting machines had secretly switched votes from Kerry to Bush. There was much discussion amplified on the Internet in those pre-social media days about the machine maker Diabold and the allegedly secured flaws in its machines that made them susceptible to hacking. Some Democrats in Congress joined the speculation the leader among them was the late Representative John Conyers, who's been replaced with Talib, who started an investigation of the allegations less than one month after the election. On December 8, 2004, Conyers held a forum on the Ohio situation. It was filled with suspicion and speculation about the election. Maybe the CEO of Diabold, a Bush supporter, manipulated his machines to throw the election for the president. Maybe Ohio Republican Secretary of State, an African-American, Kenneth Blackwell, a major villain in Democratic circles, rigged the process in favor of Bush. Maybe it was both. There were two categories of fraud in the Ohio election. Cliff Arnbeck, a top official of Common Clause Ohio, told Conyers. The first was the open and conspicuous fraud. The second was the hidden fraud that can only be disclosed by careful investigation. And it is this fraud, when you look at the statistical analysis, he said, you see these anomalies, these statistical anomalies that can only be explained by forms of computer manipulation that would be conspicuous to election officials that are a direct attack on the integrity of our election process. And we have considerable evidence that that's what took place. I don't think he was ever sued. Well, there was nothing to it, but some Democrats adopted arguments like that. They thought statistical anomalies, so-called, explained the Ohio results. They began to call their cause election integrity, and those Democrats became more, not less, suspicious as time passed. And January 6, 2005, the date that Congress would count the electoral votes approached, a group of Democrats decided to challenge the certification of Ohio's 20 electoral votes, a move that, if successful, could switch the election from Bush to Cheney. They objected using the Electoral Count Act. Hmm. 
the now familiar 19th century law that requires a member of the House to rise in objection to the vote of a particular state and then to enlist support of at least one senator for the objection to go forward. In 2001, when the Congressional Black Caucus protested Bush's victory in Florida, his first victory, they didn't have a senator to go along with them. But this time in 2005, downing Democrats did. I seek to object to the electoral votes of the state of Ohio on the ground that they were not under all the known circumstances regularly given. And I do have a senator, the late Stephanie Tubbs-Jones, Democrat Ohio, said on the floor. The senator Tubbs-Jones had enlisted was Senator Barbara Boxer of California. Under the Electoral Count Act, both houses of Congress then retreated to their separate places to debate the objections to Ohio's count. There were no other senators that would join Boxer. The final vote was 74 to 1 against the Ohio challenge in the Senate. The 25 senators who didn't vote didn't show up because they viewed this as a ceremonial session. But in the House, it was a different story. Tubbs-Jones had allies. Not enough to win, but enough to mount a serious protest. And what happened? When the vote was taken, 31 House Democrats voted against recognizing Ohio's electoral votes. Whatever they said about the protests, the fact was they voted against certifying the electoral votes that made the difference in the 24 presidential election. In other words, they wanted to overturn the results. And Benny Thompson, at the time he was beginning his seventh term in the House and had become the ranking member of the Homeland Security Committee, he's becoming an influential member of the House, although not as influential as his colleague, Representative James Clyburn, now the third-ranking Democrat in the House, who voted against certifying Ohio's votes, who voted to prevent George W. Bush his re-election in 2004. But Thompson joined the protest, too that would have overturned a presidential election had it succeeded. He was one of the 31. He was one of the 31. And now you can see, ladies and gentlemen, where the Republicans got the idea in the first place. They didn't start this. The Democrats did. The Democrats did. So as you can see, it is they who are evil. It is they who wanted to overturn an election. Now, to the best of my knowledge, none of these people have been under criminal investigation for what they did. And let me tell you something. They tried to pull it in 2000. As you'll see in a moment, they did pull it in 2004. And then in 2016, they tried a different tact. That Russia had elected Donald Trump. They tried to stop Bush twice. They tried to stop Trump twice. The first time, they failed. Now, I'm bringing this up because when the Democrats talk about election deniers, like climate change deniers, like Holocaust deniers, they're trying to keep create the impression that the Republicans are anti, their word, democracy. You hear reporters asking every Republican running for office, do you accept the last election results? Do you or don't you? You don't ever hear them ask. Well, you Democrats, did you accept the election of George Bush either time? No, you didn't. And leading Democrats said it over and over again, from Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton to Hillary Clinton to Nancy Pelosi, over and over again. That's what they said. 
the election deniers are the Democrats. Let me remind you of one other thing. And that is, up to the election in 2020, up to that date, the Democrats brought some 300 lawsuits to change the election rules in key states. To change the election rules in key states in violation of the federal constitution. More on that when I return. Mark Lovin. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David Azarad as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. The midterm elections are right around the corner, and you need to understand the founders' thoughts about the pressing issues of their and our time. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. There was a piece in the New York Times some time ago, uh, almost three years ago, by Professor Muller of University of Iowa. And the headline was, Democrats have been shameless about your presidential vote, too. And what he points out here is so much of what took place on the floor of the House, and it's really in modern times. A few objectors, objections were filed in accordance with the Electoral Count Act in the 20th century, but starting with George W. Bush's victory in 2000, Democrats contested election results after every Republican win. After every Republican win, they went to the floor to challenge elector votes in order to change the outcome of the election when Republicans won. They also did it with Donald Trump, but they were worse with Donald Trump. 2017 January, Democrats in Congress once again challenged the election outcome. Jim McGovern of Massachusetts cited the confirmed and illegal activities engaged in by the Russian government. And it went on and on and on. It's funny how truth and context is never provided to you. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David Azarad 
that as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. The midterm elections are right around the corner, and you need to understand the founders' thoughts about the pressing issues of their and our time. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. When Mark Levin speaks, the backbenchers take notes. Call in now, 877-381-3811. So every single Republican presidential victory since 2000 has been challenged by the Democrats. Every single one. Every single one. And then it comes to a head in 2020. Only then do the Democrats and Mitch McConnell, a, bar, a bipartisan movement by the radical Democrats and the rhino Republicans, to rewrite the, ninth, the 1887 law that set up the process in the joint session of Congress. Only then is it called for. Not in 2000, not in 2004, not in 2016. No, no, no. Only then. Interesting, isn't it? So the left-wingers were doing this for some time. The Democrats were doing this for some time, and yet you don't even know this because, of course, the media, and there's a new poll out on the media, which you despise and rightly so, is not interested. They're not going to tell you about it. I want to remind you of something. And this is from RollCall.com, hardly a conservative paper. More than in previous election cycles, writes Simone Pathé in December 2019, national Democratic groups are making litigation over election and voting laws a key part of their 2020 strategy. A handful of Democratic groups are currently litigating in about a dozen cases for what they see as unfair election laws and maps across the country. As it turns out, it's more than a handful and there were hundreds of cases brought. This is a dramatic uptick in the amount of voting rights litigation relative to past cycles, said Democratic election lawyer Mark Elias. He's the sleazeball. The chairman of the Perkins Coie political law group and the party's warrior in this fight. See how they cheer? He's no longer with the firm. He started his own. The multi-million dollar investment in a concerted legal strategy is an acknowledgement of how important minority and youth voters are to Democratic efforts to turn out their base in states that will be pivotal in next year's House, Senate, and presidential elections. We're looking at future battlegrounds. Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chairwoman Sherry Bustos told CQ Roll Call by phone. The strategy is also a recognition that without the control of state legislatures of the U.S. Senate, there is little Democrats in government can do ahead of the 2020 election to reverse some of the voting laws that GOP-controlled legislatures have passed, and it goes on. And so this is the issue. Remember, we've talked about this North Carolina case that's picked up by the U.S. Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court upholds the federal Constitution and says, wait a minute, it is the state legislatures that determine the voting and the electoral processes that lead to the selection of electors. That's what the Constitution says in black and white. We don't even need to go back and look at anything. 
This is why you have law professors, Democrat legal groups, Democrat party operatives, and the media all saying that this is a a single state or state legal theory. And this is why they're trying to create the impression that this would be a radical decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to actually uphold that language in the federal constitution. Because the Democrats have a strategy that worked in 2020. As corrupt as it was. That is to change the laws in key states. Not by electing Repub- uh, excuse me, Democrat legislatures but by going to Democrat governors, by going to Democrat secretaries of state who have no say in it, by going to Democrat state judges, Democrat Supreme Courts in the states. And that's what they did. That's what they did in North Carolina when it came to redistricting. And the Speaker of the House and the others in the Republican legislature in North Carolina said, no, nah, you're violating the Constitution. And so that's why they're so worked up about this. Because, finally, slowly, some Republicans are on to them. To their credit, in Pennsylvania, they were on to them early on. But in other states, it was a little slower. But still, to their credit, they're challenging this. But again, starting in 2000, and every Republican elected president since, the Democrats challenged the electors to try and change the outcome of the election. And up to and running up to 2020, they went even further. They went even further. They went into the states after they lost in 2016, after their challenges to that election failed, after the Russia collusion failed. They went further. Their lawyers went in the courts, state courts primarily, some federal courts, strategically with tens of millions of dollars backing them up in Democrat and left-wing donor funds, dark money, to change the election laws. And they succeeded in several states, including Pennsylvania. You get my points here, Mr. Producer? I think you do. A little bit of a reminder. Democrats denying election results again. Yesterday we addressed one of the two issues they're running on, abortion and protecting women's bodies. But they're not protecting women's bodies because rape is through the roof and they're soft on crime. They're letting criminals out. Well, rape is a violation of a woman's body in the worst, most violent, inhumane way. Killing unborn babies, which science tells us, they're babies. All the way up to the last minute before birth, that's the position of the Democrats on abortion. It's almost eugenics. And their position on democracy with the January 6th hearing, the only reason I'm spending time on this is to show you how how they lie repeatedly. It's another weak sister. May I say that, Mr. Producer? I think I will. The RNC put this out a bit ago. Montage one, cut one, go. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what I'm thing. I'm scared about no, it in but, 2020. But rightly. 
Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice president for candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election. And he was put in the office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is a legitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. But there absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. So that legitimacy is in question, yes. So that was a very tainted election. And and in that sense, it's illegitimate. Why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you? Because he knows he didn't. He knows he's an illegitimate president. Stolen emails. Stolen drone. Stolen drone. Stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? Based on what I just said, which I can't retract. <laughs> In the Russian attempt to, ha to have the election, and frankly, the FBI is uh, weighing in on the election, I think make the, make, makes his election illegitimate. There was a widespread understanding that this election was not on the level. We still don't know what really happened, Isaac. I mean, there's just a lot that I think will be revealed, history will discover, but you don't win by three million votes and have all this other shenanigans stuff going on and not come away with an idea like, whoa, something's not right here. The outcome of the election was affected by their interference, and now we need to know, you know to what degree, uh, if any, the Trump campaign was actually in collusion with the, uh, with so he knows he's an illegitimate president. So of course he's obsessed with me. And I believe that it's a guilty conscience. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. And Al Gore won that election. I think he won it anyway. Actually, I think <laughs> I carried Florida. Bush versus Gore. A court took away a presidency. If all the votes were counted in Florida. Al Gore would be president today and George Bush would be back in office. I come from Florida, where you and others participated in what I call the United States coup d'etat. There's no doubt in my mind that Al Gore was elected president. I rise to object to the fraudulent 25 Florida electoral votes. I must object because of the overwhelming evidence of official misconduct, deliberate fraud, chair, and an attempt the to chair must remind me. It is signed by myself on behalf of my diverse constituents and the millions of Americans who have been disenfranchised by Florida's inaccurate vote count. The Supreme the, uh, Court, not the is, people of the United States, decided this election. Speaking to a Democratic group in Chicago Tuesday, he made it clear he thinks Al Gore was the winner. By the time it was over, our candidate had won the popular vote, and the only way they could win the election was to stop the voting in Florida. Catherine Harris, Jeb Bush, 
Jim Baker and the Supreme Court hadn't tampered with the results, Al Gore would be president. The Supreme yeah, yes. Court elected the president. 2004, yes. Al Gore won the state of Florida in 2000, although not the presidency. But the Supreme Court tampered? That's a large chart. The Supreme Court stopped the counting of the votes, and if they let the count go on, Al Gore would have got the necessary votes. The Supreme Court selected George W. Bush as the president. He was not elected. There is overwhelming evidence that George W. Bush did not win this election. What I observed uh, as a voter, as a citizen of Illinois uh, four years ago, were troubling evidence of the fact that not every vote was being counted. Don't think that George W. Bush won the election uh, in 2000 against our goal because I, th I think it, he probably lost Florida and also that nationwide. If you invite me back on this show in about eight weeks, I think you're going to learn that Al Gore actually did get all the votes there. The court has been thwarting formation of the popular will. The most spectacular example being Bush versus Gore, where the majority by a 5-4 vote enjoined the counting of more than 100,000 ballots in Florida and That's essentially gave America right its first court-appointed president. <laughs> I think in 2000, everybody thought, well, he did win the election, Al Gore. After the election, when you stole the election, you came back here and said, get over it. No, we're not going to get over it. You know it. I know it. They know it. We won that election. Constantly shifting vote tallies in Ohio and malfunctioning electronic machines, which may not have paper receipts, have led to additional loss of confidence by the public. The right to vote has been stolen from qualified voters. In 2004, the democratic process was thwarted. The 2004 presidential election in Ohio was riddled with unnecessary problems. Some machines malfunctioned, causing votes to be counted more than once, or not at all. Based upon an inordinate number of allegations suggesting gross voting rights violations and misconduct, I join with my colleagues in objecting to counting the state of Ohio's electoral votes. As in 2000, the votes of many who wanted to vote were not, in fact, counted. This last Friday night, I, I arranged to meet Senator Kerry at a fundraiser to give him a copy of my book. He told me he now thinks the election was stolen. The wife of John Kerry said she has lingering doubts about the legitimacy of the election. Her theory goes like this. Two brothers, she calls hard right Republicans, own 80% of voting machines in the U.S. Therefore, it would be easy to hack into the mother machines that control the electronic voting. There's another five minutes of the election deniers. So in 2000, George Bush is an illegitimate president appointed by the Supreme Court. In 2004, George Bush again is an illegitimate president. They stole the election in Ohio. In 2016, Donald Trump's an illegitimate president because the Russians gave him the election. And in 2020, Donald Trump is the election denier, they say, because he questions how it's possible to receive almost 75 million votes more than any other human being who ever ran for president and to lose to Joe Biden, who got 80 million votes. With all this litigation and this other activity taking place. Who are the election deniers, quote unquote, ladies and gentlemen? Who've been trying to destroy the electoral system and then try to nationalize it to benefit one party and one party only? 
democracy. They don't stand for democracy. They stand for totalitarianism. That's who they are. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David Azarad as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. The midterm elections are right around the corner, and you need to understand the founders' thoughts about the pressing issues of their and our time. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Raskin opposed the Bush election in 2000. He opposed it in 2004. He opposed the Trump election in 2016. He sat on both impeachment panels. That man is the leader of a coup effort. And it is all over TV talking about democracy and how the Republicans have these extremists. Here he is on the floor uh, challenging the awarding of electors. Cut three, go. What purpose is member right? Uh, I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified because they violated Florida's prohibition against dual debate office holding. Debate is out of order. Section 15 and 17 of the Title III of the United States Code require that any objection be presented in writing signed by both members of the House of Representatives, both a member of the House of Representatives and a senator, is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? Is in writing, Mr. President. Is it signed by a senator? Not as of yet, Mr. President. In that case, the objection cannot be. So this was January 6, 2017. Five short years ago. When Jamie Raskin. For the third time, Jamie Raskin has challenged the election of every Republican president since 2000. And he sits on the January 6th committee. I think he was there in 2000, if not 2004 and 2016. And they're lecturing you and me about insurrections, about election denying, about accepting the outcome. It's funny how Chuck Todd, none of the Sunday shows address this, CNN, MSNBC, none of the media, and we'll get to them in a moment. You hate them and you should. And wait until you hear about Liz Cheney at the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics yesterday. Yes, she's very welcome where she used to be despised. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. 
Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. It be me, Mark Levin, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You've heard of the show. It's an excellent show, The Five. This is the one. Just one. Just me. Not four others, not five. Just me. Great people there. Liz Cheney at the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics yesterday. Jamie Raskin told her what? Hat tip rumble, cut four. You know, I I tell people the story about the the first time I met Jamie Raskin. Uh, We met on the floor of the House. We were elected the same year, and he's a constitutional law professor. And he was telling me he's written several, several books. And I said to him, well, why don't you send me one of your books? And he said, well, he said, you know, my last book was about how Dick Cheney and George Bush stole the election in 2000. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I don't really need that one, Jamie. You can send me another one. Oh, they're so palsy-wowsy. See what I mean? Jamie Raskin has been an election denier forever. I was right, 2000, 2004, 2016. And he has inserted himself into... All these events, because he's a commie, may I say. His father was surely a commie. And just to wrap up the Democrats denying election results, you only heard half of it. And so I'm making a point to push back against the fraudulent, corrupt media. Just a little more, and then we're going to move on. Cut to go. There were numerous irregularities in Ohio, including large percentages of rejections. And and by the way, this is not a repeat of what I played before. This is additional. Go. With voting machines. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity. There are still legitimate concerns over the integrity of our elections. The question, obviously, is how many instances we're not caught that we don't know about. Uh, number one, we've seen a lot of what I'll call honest glitches where it just didn't work right, but also that these machines are hackable. A dishonest employee of the vendor or a dishonest employee of a local board of elections or simply someone who knows electronics uh, and has a computer at home um, could hack into these machines and uh, put in a secret instruction to disregard every 20th Democratic vote or add 10% to the carrier to the Bush vote or whatever, you might not ever know it. I agree with tens of millions of Americans who are very worried that when they cast the ballot on an electronic voting machine, that there is no paper trail to record that vote. The numerous irregularities that occurred with the electronic voting machines in Ohio on November the 2nd of last year point to an unresolved national crisis. We cannot declare that the election of November 2nd, 2004 was free and clear and transparent and 
real. There must be independent testing of the voting machines used in Ohio. I'm not confident that the election in Ohio was fairly decided. We know that there was substantial voter suppression and the machines were not reliable. The members of Congress who have brought this challenge are speaking up for their aggrieved constituents, many of whom may have been disenfranchised in this process. Treating today's electoral vote count in Congress as a meaningless ritual would be an insult to our democracy unless we registered our own protest against the obviously flawed voting process that took place in so many of our states. Voters who wish to cast a vote for president or vice president can't approach the polls with certainty that their vote will be counted. One of the most significant problems in Ohio and in many other states was the lack of measures to ensure the integrity of electronic voting machines. In 2004, they caused Democratic voters in Ohio to wait for eight hours before they could cast their ballot. They turned the Department of Civil Rights and the Justice Department into the Voter Suppression Division with voter ID laws, voter purging, voter caging, voter intimidation. There aren't going to be any more election stealings. And despite the final tally and the inauguration and the situation we find ourselves in, I do have one very affirmative statement to make. Without voter suppression, Stacey Abrams would be the governor of Georgia. Andrew Gillum is the governor of Florida. I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election. This is not a speech of concession. If she'd had a fair election, she already would have won. You refuse to concede and say that you lost. Do you stand by that decision today? Absolutely. The election was not fair. The process was not fair. If Stacey Abrams doesn't win in Georgia, they stole it. It's clear. It's clear. I think that Stacey Abrams' election is being stolen from her. You uh, notably did not concede. I did not. Okay, you acknowledged that he won, but you did not concede. Correct. Five months later, do you still feel like your opponent won through voter suppression? Yes. Georgia voters did not have their votes counted. They were not allowed to cast votes. They had their votes discarded. She would be the governor of Georgia today had the governor of Georgia not disenfranchised 1.4 million Georgia voters before the election. That's what happened to Stacey Abrams. They took the votes away. Was the election in Georgia statewide a free and fair election? It was not a free and fair election. Reminder, she wrote, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. And it was not fair to those who filled up absentee ballots. And depending on the county you sent it to, it either was counted or not counted, assuming you received it in time. Brian Kemp oversaw for eight years the systematic and systemic dismantling of our democracy, and that means there could not be free and fair elections in Georgia. It certainly gave the appearance of unfairness. I think it was um, unfairness. Stacey ran a great campaign. She probably won. But will I say that this election was not tainted, was not a disinvestment and a disenfranchisement of thousands of voters? I will not say that. Candidates both black and white lost their races because they have been deprived of the votes they otherwise would have gotten. And the clearest example is from next door in Georgia. Stacey Abrams should be governor leading that state right now. So you don't feel that you lost fair and square.
I'm not saying it's going to be legit. It's the increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is a direct proportion of us not being able to get these, All right. these reforms passed. Oh, my goodness. I think we've put this to rest. Now, not with the media, but that's not my audience. Not with the Democrats. They're not my audience. Not with the leftists. They're not my audience, but with you. Now, you can push back. You can push back on abortion. You can push back on election deniers. No matter how much Donald Trump has talked about the 2020 election, it doesn't come close to the amount that Democrats and myriad numbers of Democrats have talked about 2000, 2004, 2016, etc. Period. And as I said earlier, not one of them under any of these circumstances was ever criminally investigated by a U.S. attorney's office. None of them for trying to overthrow an election, for trying to change the outcome of an election, for conspiring, for any of the rest of it. None of them. And there was Donald Trump on Inauguration Day. And what happened in Washington on Inauguration Day, ladies and gentlemen? The Democrats rioted. I don't remember a riot during an inauguration before. They rioted. They were violent. They burned cars. They, they blew out windows. They attacked people. At the inauguration. Was anybody charged with obstructing the transition of power? Was anybody charged with trying to interfere with the swearing-in of a president? Was sedition? Not to my knowledge. Why not? And it got worse from there. With the urging and the prodding of the media and the Democrat Party, Trump supporters were abused and attacked all over the country, wherever they would gather. Remember those scenes? I do. Where a young lady had to run into an office building because she was attacked, spit on, hit. Remember those scenes? Where Trump supporters had to fight for their for their lives. Remember this scene coming off the east end of the White House after the Republican convention there, I believe it was? Where the Democrats, with their Black Lives Matter and Tifa are just regular lousy Democrat operatives. Attack Rand Paul, attack Dan Bongino. Remember the cops had to come in, but they were overwhelmed? My wife and I were there. Many of us were told to take a different route, which we did. And Uber was told to take a different route, and the taxi drivers to go around outside the city, go around and get out. Anybody remember that effort? To obstruct the nominating process of a president of the United States? No, I don't remember any... Any prosecutions for that to any of you? No, of course not. Violence, 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 violence. Then we get January 6th. That's the insurrection, you see. The insurrection of all insurrections. Now, we've been consistent. Violence has no place. And the violent people have been prosecuted and are being prosecuted. You can't say the same about the Democrats. 
But they're also scooping up people who weren't violent in the least. They walked into the Capitol building. Many of them were waved into the Capitol building. Or they walked in because other people were walking in. They looked around for 30 seconds and they left. They're all receiving scarlet letters. They're all receiving either jail time or they have to cut some kind of deal which ruins them for life. A couple of them have already committed suicide. Nonviolent. Because Merrick Garland, this U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C., they're throwing the book at these people. These aren't Marxists. These aren't violent people, the ones I'm talking about. Doesn't matter. So now you know the truth. About 2000, 2004, 2016, who was challenging elections? Who were the deniers? Who started this entire process? The Democrats. They started all these challenges. Jamie Raskin. Benny Thompson and Dizzy Lizzie's all fine with that. So you'd wonder why the Bush Cheney crowd wasn't a little bit more sensitive to what takes place, but they're not. And Dizzy Lizzie's invited to Harvard. She's invited to the Kennedy Library and Foundation where she gets the Profile and Courage Award. If you want to get a Profile and Courage Award and you're Republican, Try and destroy your own party and destroy your own president. Then you'll get a profile and carriage award. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, there is no hope that there will be more energy or that the price of energy will go down in even the mid or long term under this president. He's made it abundantly clear. He has no plan other than to drain the Strategic Petroleum Reserve further. Which he hopes will have a short-term consequence and persuade the, the unknowledgeable, the uninformed to vote Democrat because they save three cents on the gallon for a week before it goes up another 40 cents. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. With the upcoming midterms, keep something in mind. You don't just vote at the ballot box. You vote with your every dollar you spend and the companies you spend them with. Verizon Wireless customers, you're supporting a company that dropped One American News. AT&T customers, your company owns far-left CNN. And T-Mobile, your CEO reportedly advised Democrats on how to beat Trump. Don't give your money to woke wireless companies. Instead, choose Pure Talk, a company that believes in family values. And they also believe in giving you great service at a low cost, like unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Average family saves almost $1,000 a year. I'm a Pure Talk customer, folks. Here's what I like. Same network, same coverage, same phone, lower bill, and 30 days risk-free. Switching can take just 10 minutes. It's a no-brainer. Show corporate America you're done funding their leftist policies. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and make the switch to my company, Pure Talk. 
I want to get to this issue with Biden and fuel in a moment, but before I do, this just came out. CNBC judge says more of attorney John Eastman's emails about Trump election challenge must be given to January 6th probe. Federal judge ordered pro-Trump attorney John Eastman. It's not pro-Trump attorney. It's Trump attorney to turn over multiple documents to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot. They include emails allegedly showing efforts by Eastman and former President Trump to disrupt Congress's effort to confirm Trump's 2020 election loss. Eight of Eastman's emails were subject to the crime fraud exception to attorney-client privilege, according to the order by the judge in Santa Ana, California. This judge is a renowned radical left-wing Democrat. He's awful. You won't read this in the news. You won't read this because the press is going to conceal it. He is a renowned radical Some have even called him, to me, a crackpot. His name is Judge David Carter. You can Google his name. Now, I want Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans out there to understand something. Attorney-client privilege has all but been destroyed by the Democrat judges, by some of the Republican judges, but definitely by the, the Democrat Department of Justice, the Democrat U.S. Attorney's Office, and this Democrat-run committee. So when you open your investigations of individuals in the Biden administration, current and former, you and your lawyers need to keep track of these decisions by these judges and these demands by the January 6th committee or prior to that, the Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Committees. This is precedent that will bear fruit when you take power. And again, I say this with all due respect. They're both dear friends of mine. When Stuart Varney and my buddy Brian Kilmeade say, no, 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 don't bring impeachment against Biden at all. No, 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 no. You've got to put on the brass knuckles. Not, not because you're knee jerk, but because the only way to stop this tyranny is to use their tactics against them. And God knows Joe Biden has committed many impeachable offenses. And God knows the Democrats tried to undermine the Trump presidency with endless investigations. But in your case, you have real reasons for investigations. The FBI is corrupt. It has gone rogue. It acts like the East German Stasi did. The Department of Justice, which oversees it, is a complete reckless operation with radical political operatives in every single senior major post there. The U.S. Attorney for Washington, D.C., Graves, is obviously, in my view, a uh, prosecutorial hitman who does the dirty work of this administration. You want to find out who's making decisions, who it is behind and around this administration? They have weakened executive privilege, so that's a bar you might be able to overcome. They've, They've weakened the protection and the separation of power of the executive branch. You do not have any way to strengthen that if one party is destroying it. So you need to use these tactics to get what you need to get to give us our country back. And when you have a committee looking in to what's going on, that committee must be completely one-sided. You're not going to find Democrats like they found Republicans Liz Cheney and Adam Kingsinger. 
So there's no need to have a Democrat or maybe have one or two of the dumber among them, one of the flunkies, just for the fun of it. But you cannot, you cannot back off. You must be relentless. I'll be right back. With the upcoming midterms, keep something in mind. You don't just vote at the ballot box. You vote with your every dollar you spend and the companies you spend them with. Verizon Wireless customers, you're supporting a company that dropped One American News. AT&T customers, your company owns far-left CNN. And T-Mobile, your CEO reportedly advised Democrats on how to beat Trump. Don't give your money to woke wireless companies. Instead, choose Pure Talk, a company that believes in family values. And they also believe in giving you great service at a low cost, like unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Average family saves almost $1,000 a year. I'm a Pure Talk customer, folks. Here's what I like. Same network, same coverage, same phone, lower bill, and 30 days risk-free. Switching can take just 10 minutes. It's a no-brainer. Show corporate America you're done funding their leftist policies. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and make the switch to my company, Pure Talk. You can call us now at 877-381-3811. And the liberal contact number is 877-381-3811. Joe Biden is draining the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is there not to bail out the Democrats and help them during an election because their policies are destroying, destroying our energy industry. Destroying our energy industry. It's there for national security emergencies. So Biden was asked today, why are you releasing 10 to 15 million barrels immediately and 1 million barrels each day for the next 180 days? Why did you decide to do this right before the election again? Cut five, go. What is your response to Republicans who say you are only doing this SPR release to help Democrats in the midterms? Where have they been the last four months? That's my response. Is it politically motivated, sir? No, it's not. Three weeks before the midterms? Look, it makes sense. I've been doing this for how long now? It's not politically motivated at all. It's motivated to make sure that I continue to push on what I've been pushing on. And that is making sure there's enough oil that's being pumped by the companies so that we have the ability to be able to produce enough gas that we need here at home, oil we need here at home. And at the same time, keep moving in the direction of providing for alternative energy. That's what I've been doing. But you failed because what you're doing is you're destroying incentives for drilling for anything. Your incentives are for propeller hats and battery-operated socks, you idiot. And then he falls back on this one. Cut six, go. That's why I have been doing everything in my power to reduce gas prices since Putin's invasion of Ukraine caused these price hikes. Well, you know, they didn't cause the price hikes because the price hikes started well before February of this year. Well before February this year. So what the hell are you talking about? 
Now, the Democrats, you may recall, blocked Donald Trump, who wanted to buy oil that was very reasonable price, actually a very low price, to continue and to complete filling up the strategic petroleum reserve. Trump had a lot of great ideas. He got most of them instituted, but when it came to getting votes from the Democrats, they would stop him. They would block him, like finishing the wall. So he had to go around them. And it was legal because it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and they said it was legal. Karine Jean-Pierre at the White House press briefing today. Why did the Democrats block Trump from refilling the reserve? Cut 11, go. In 2020, when Congress was debating uh, funding for replenishing the SPR uh, at a low price, Democrats blocked it, saying that it was a bailout for big oil. But now, President Biden said today that it would be a good Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about when uh, Donald Trump was trying to sell it at $20 uh, per per, uh, per barrel to buy it. it. Look, it was a different time then. It was not the same situation that we are currently in. The reserve was close to full capacity. No, it wasn't at. It was about... As I recall, about 80 percent, he wanted to finish it. And she says it's a different time, different circumstances. This is why Democrats are never really worried, uh, ready for emergencies like the pandemic, like Cuomo in New York. He didn't prepare for ventilators. Turns out they didn't need as many, but the federal government had to provide them. He didn't prepare. They didn't have respirators. And it's up to the state to prepare for these pandemics or epidemics. And he actually cut the funding. Cuomo did, as did most Democrat governors and some Republican governors that were supposed to go towards that kind of, quote unquote, investment. Pataki did it. He put enough funds aside. You know, it turns out Pataki was a pretty good damn governor of New York, quite frankly. What was he there, 10 or 12 years, Mr. Producer, something like that, as I recall? In any event, they're draining the reserves. The price is going through the roof. Our enemies have us over a barrel, in truth. Third world countries have us over a barrel. And his answer is to attack the oil companies, to try and put them out of business, to drain, that's like using up all your savings and choosing not to go to work. It's like sitting on your sofa day in and day out, watching TV, eating Cheetos and having a beer and saying, hey, look, uh, I'll just use what's in my savings account. And then what? Country can't survive that way. So Peter Ducey's at the White House today, of course, the deuce. And he asked this, cut 12, go. You're asking oil companies to further lower gas prices. What makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How, how is the administration trying to put them out of business? Oh, well, they produce fossil fuels, and this president says he wants to end fossil fuel. So, look, um, I, you kind of asked me this question yesterday. and Well, try and answer it uh, clearly in plain English with complete sentences so we can all understand it. Go ahead. Where, uh, where we would say U.S. oil production. Uh, yeah, read it off. Here. What's with this administration? Everybody's reading from note cards. They're all dimwitted. Everybody's reading from note cards. Go ahead. 
a record high next year. We've seen that from their uh, uh, from when we see their profit. Ah, shut up, you idiot. My God, why waste seconds in our lives listening to this? I apologize to you, America. I apologize to you. We're going to have a big election night here, as you know, November 8th, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We have many, many affiliates out there. We want to thank you all who, over the years, over 20 years, have your, your audiences have found this program very, very important. We monitor all the relevant information. We're on top of it. Uh, we address everything we can in your localities as well as nationwide. And you'll not get that anywhere else, certainly not without my, my background in this area, which is, well, you'll see. No brag, just fact. When we come back, America's trust in the media remains near record low. I wonder why that is. You remember almost four years ago, a book called Unfreedom of the Press? Unfreedom of the Press is about how those entrusted with news reporting in the modern media are destroying freedom of the press from within. Not government oppression or suppression. Not President Donald Trump's finger-pointing, but present-day newsrooms and journalists. Indeed, social activism, progressive groupthink, Democratic Party partisanship, opinion and propaganda passed off as news, the staging of pseudo-events, self-censorship, bias by omission, and outright falsehoods are too often substituted for old-fashioned objective fact-gathering and news reporting. A self-perpetuating and reinforcing mindset has replaced independent and impartial thinking, and the American people know it. Thus, the credibility of the mass media has never been lower. That is the first paragraph from Unfreedom of the Press. Now, I want you to see the most recent information from Gallup. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. With the upcoming midterms, keep something in mind. You don't just vote at the ballot box. You vote with your every dollar you spend and the companies you spend them with. Verizon Wireless customers, you're supporting a company that dropped One American News. AT&T customers, your company owns far-left CNN. And T-Mobile, your CEO reportedly advised Democrats on how to beat Trump. Don't give your money to woke wireless companies. Instead, choose Pure Talk, a company that believes in family values. And they also believe in giving you great service at a low cost, like unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Average family saves almost $1,000 a year. I'm a Pure Talk customer, folks. Here's what I like. Same network. Same coverage, same phone, lower bill, and 30 days risk-free. Switching can take just 10 minutes. It's a no-brainer. Show corporate America you're done funding their leftist policies. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and make the switch to my company, Pure Talk. America's trust in the media remains near record low. Megan Brennan Gallup. 34% of a great deal or fair amount of confidence in the media. 38% with no trust at all. Outpaces great deal, fair amount for the first time since they've been checking. 
70% of Democrats, 14% of Republicans, 27% of independents trust the media. I'm surprised it's not 100% of Democrats since they own the media. 34% of Americans trust in the mass media to report the news fully accurately and fairly is essentially unchanged from last year and just two points higher than the lowest that Gallup poll has recorded in 2016 during the presidential campaign. Just 7% of Americans have a great deal of trust and confidence in the media. 7%. For you liberals out there, that's 7 out of 100. And 27% have a fair amount. Meanwhile, 28% of U.S. adults say they do not have very much confidence. 38% say they have none at all on newspapers, TV, and radio. They mean news radio, of course. We have a 100% plus rating, Mr. Producer. I'm certain of that. Not notably, this is the first time that the percentage of Americans with no trust at all in the media is higher than the percentage with a great deal or a fair amount combined. Now, if you're fake tapper or any of the other frauds in the media and their bosses, what do you take from this? You have to do a better job that you have to work harder to be balanced impartial as you can be no you know what you take from this you take from this we're the media for the democrats and we're not only going to continue to be the media for the democrats we're going to quadruple down that's our audience that's our base that's how the media now look at this our numbers are only bad quote unquote because of the republicans the conservatives maga Tea Party, the extremists, the domestic terrorists, the white supremacists. Other than that, our, our ratings are through the roof. And so, therefore, what's the play here? The play is to be more of who we are and to fight over that 70% and get more of that audience. Because when you look at a Schmuck Todd or a George Steffa or whatever, and you look at these people, they're not interested in upholding the First Amendment or the media. They hide behind it so they can say and do whatever they want. They're not interested in the reputation of the media. They're interested in their reputation with the little cliques they have in Washington and New York and L.A. That's all. The percentage of Americans with a great deal or fair amount of trust in the media has not been at the majority level since 2003. Partisan divide in media trust persists. Americans' trust in the media remains sharply polarized along partisan lines with 70% of Democrats, 14% Republicans, 27% Independents saying they have a great deal or fair amount of confidence. There's been a consistent double-digit gap in trust between Democrats and Republicans. So there is my point. These people are Democrats. They are succeeding with their model, their ideological, political, and business model. 70% of Democrats are very happy with the media. It's their media! For the third straight year, the majority of Republicans indicate they have no trust at all in the media. The figure jumped 10 percentage points in 2020 and has been at near 60% since then. This year, 57% say they do not have any confidence. 29% say they do not have very much. 
Even 27% in independence confidence is at the lowest point in the trend. It's also the first time that it has fallen below 30%. Meanwhile, 40%, 41% of independents say they have no trust at all. And 32% say they, have, they don't have very much. Ah, those are just independents and the Republicans, the white supremacists, you know. The Trumpsters. We're doing great. We're doing great with our Greenwich Village crowd. Oh, my goodness. We're just fabulous here. We're doing great. Here in the Martha's Vineyard, I bet it's even higher. It's a clear pattern by age whereby older Democrats and independents are more trusting in the media than their younger counterparts. Goes on to break it down even further here. Bottom line, Americans' confidence in the media has been anemic for nearly two decades. Gallup's latest findings further document that distrust, the current level of public trust in the media, full, fair, and accurate reporting of the news, is the second lowest on record. This new confidence reading follows Gallup's historically low confidence in both TV news and newspaper in June, and in a new low in December annual rating of the honesty and ethics of television reporters. Newspaper reporters receive similarly low ratings in the same poll. Hear that, Maggot Haberman? Oh, she saves all of her gossip for her books. She's a real grifter. She's a real grifter. So don't expect anything better from this media. Expect it to get worse. That's why you just got to blow it off. I know the problem. It influences a lot of people. I know the problem. You're right. But what you do to get around that is the clear, radical left... Marxist Democrat Party media. Don't watch them. Don't listen to them. You know their ratings are plummeting? Even these phony comedy shows. They're not comedy shows. They're clown shows late at night. Low IQ, really peculiar looking stooges. NBC, ABC, CBS. Those networks. Nobody's watching those clowns. I'll be right back. There's still no end in sight for rising prices. That makes me even more thankful than ever that I called CarShield. Their price will never go up, so I don't have to worry about how much my repairs will cost when my car breaks down. It's amazing. CarShield offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month that cover more parts than ever before. Whether your car is 5,000 or 150,000 miles, every protection plan includes coast-to-coast roadside assistance, courtesy towing, and rental car options at no extra cost. And like I mentioned earlier, when you got coverage today, you'll lock in your price. It'll never go up. So as long as you cover your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs. CarShield's providing me and millions of hardworking Americans with peace of mind. And they can do the same for you. Get coverage today, folks. Go to carshield.com slash mark or call 800-420-6669 to save 10% on your plan. That's carshield.com slash mark or 800-420-6669 to save 10%. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Hello. 877-381-3811. My friend Chris Plant just sent me something, so I want to... uh, Let's see if I can find it here. Yes, indeed. Mr. Producer, there's something going on at the Supreme Court right now. I'd like you to dig it up. You you can find it, I believe. Um, Try Mediate first, but there are other real news sites that are probably uh, reporting on it now as well. Uh. This is live radio for those of you who hear it live, ladies and gentlemen. That's why it's important. And that is why I am digging into this right now as we speak. Just give me a second because I don't want to miss this before I go off the air. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Let's see. Here it is. Three arrested outside Supreme Court on weapons charges, police searching vehicle for potential explosives over at Mediate. Three people have been arrested after they were spotted in what was described as a suspicious vehicle outside the Supreme Court this evening. In a series of tweets, the U.S. Capitol Police noted officers had responded to the vehicle, which was spotted in the 100 block of East Capitol Street. Please stay away from the area. They say information is preliminary, so please follow this account for the latest confirmation information. The agency's Twitter account says that's U.S. Capitol Police over there, Twitter. We are still investigating the suspicious vehicle on the 100 block. Uh, Let's see here. I think that's all we have. CNN's John Jones, who is at the scene said officers are concerned there might be explosives in the car, which is sitting vacant as its occupants are in custody. Jones reported, this is the east side of the United States Capitol, East Capitol Street, in fact. It is the street that runs between the Library of Congress and the Supreme Court. I'm well familiar with it. With the United States Capitol in the background, we will turn around here, take a bit and so forth. There's a concern about a potential for explosives in that vehicle, is what it says. Let's see. We're still looking. Here's Axios, uh, which I'm pulling up right now, hopefully. Capitol Police arrest armed man bringing documents to Supreme Court. Capitol Police arrested and charged an 80-year-old Georgia man who they said parked a van containing three firearms outside the Supreme Court. The arrest comes amid a rash of security concerns among members of Congress and the federal judiciary, driven by rising threats and a series of startling security incidents. Capitol Police said in a statement they arrested 80-year-old Tony Payne of Tunnel Hill, Georgia, after they found his van illegally parked on Capitol grounds this afternoon. According to the statement, Payne told police he had guns in the van and a canine detected something as well. After detaining Payne and two others... Police said they searched the vehicle and found two handguns and a shotgun, as well as pipes and containers, prompting the United States Capitol Police Hazardous Incident Response Division to do a thorough search and clear the van. Payne was charged with unlawful activity for having weapons on Capitol grounds. The others were not arrested. 
According to the statement, Payne and the two individuals he was with told investigators they were here to deliver documents to this U.S. Supreme Court. Now, that's all we know right now. I don't draw any conclusions from any of this, but that's all we know right now. So, uh, I'm just pointing this out. Looking at another story here. That's it. So we'll look again before we go off the air, of course, which is in 50 minutes. That's why it's important when this show is live. Uh, there's a, often a lot of breaking news in the evening, in the early night, or late afternoon for some of you. There's always breaking news on Friday evening during the course of this program. I'm used to it. I've seen it for 20 years now, and we're always poised to get the information. But in this case, a hat tip to my buddy Chris Plant. Has his own syndicated show out of WMAL. He's a good man. Uh, and he's always about and roundabout in Washington, D.C. He's the man of D.C. Or something like that. Now, we're going to keep monitoring this. Uh, it's, it's a dangerous world out there, folks. It really is. It's quite frightening in many respects. Let's continue because we have a great guest coming up. Blake Masters is scheduled from Arizona, and he needs to win that Senate seat. This is from Epic Times, which is a great site. We have many great sites. Unfortunately, the corrupt media, which is despised by so many Americans, particularly patriotic Americans, don't cover stories like this. Republicans sue Pennsylvania officials who said they'll accept mail-in ballots without dates. Now, remember this? The U.S. Supreme Court basically overturned what the circuit court under it had said with respect to uh, mail-in ballots. In Pennsylvania, you've long been required to sign the envelope and date it. But the Democrats decided they count them anyway because they thought they was, the people who are too stupid to do it are mostly Democrats. They're probably right. Republicans are suing Pennsylvania officials after the state's top election official, and she's an appointed Democrat, the acting Secretary of State, because the prior Secretary of State resigned in a scandal. After she said, officially, mail-in ballots without dates will be accepted in contravention of state law. State law, ladies and gentlemen, is explicit. You don't fill out the envelope properly on the exterior, the vote doesn't count. Well, the Democrats decided it should. And that's good enough. That makes it righteous, and anyone who opposes it, a Klansman. A group of Pennsylvania voters, the Republican National Committee, and the Pennsylvania Republican Party filed a lawsuit with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, asking justices to quickly to declare illegal the guidance from the Pennsylvania Department of State regarding ballots that don't have dates. Acting Pennsylvania Secretary of State Lee Chapman said on October 11th, that every county is expected to include undated ballots in their official returns for the November 8 election, consistent with the Department of State's guidance. Now, why isn't this insurrection? Why isn't this considered lawlessness? They get away with this stuff. The guidance last updated in September states any ballot return envelope that is undated or dated with an incorrect date that has been timely received by the county shall be included in the vote count. This completely contradicts state law. And they don't care. 
state law states that any voter who uses an absentee or mail-in ballot must, quote, fill out date and sign the declaration, unquote, that's printed on the envelope used to submit such a ballot. So the, the lawsuit, the petitioners asked the court to issue a declaration that the date requirement is valid and mandatory, that the acting secretary's contrary guidance is invalid. Moreover, to preserve the rights of all voters and candidates, the court should immediately issue an order directing county boards of elections to segregate any undated or incorrectly dated ballots received for the 2022 general election. They're trying to steal the election for Fetterman. It's right here. They're trying to steal the election for Fetterman. Now, I will be acute. What am I, an uh, election denier? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? Some counties have said they intend to segregate undated ballots, but many haven't. The Republicans said underlying the need to act quickly with the midterm election taking place in November. I believe they're already voting in Pennsylvania. That's the problem. Let's see. The Pennsylvania Department of State didn't respond to requests for comment. So these are the Democrats. This is what they're doing. It's not the law. It's not the Supreme Court. I'm waiting for our former Attorney General, Bill Barr, to comment on this, or the former federal prosecutors who are now legal analysts to jump into this and to speak to it. But this is the sort of thing that infuriates people. This is the sort of thing that changes election results. And this is why people get angry. And then they get prosecuted. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right, as we do some live reporting, thanks to my buddy Chris Plant, who has connections all over the media. You know, I used to be a real reporter. But when the people around him stopped being real reporters, he said, I can't carry this bunch. And so now he has a real job. The United States Capitol Police clear suspicious van, arrest driver for bringing guns to Capitol grounds, it's a press release. Capitol Police arrested the driver after he admitted to having guns in his vehicle, a small white van, around 3.45 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the officers noticed the van was illegally parked around the 100 block of East Capitol Street. The driver told us he had guns in the van. A canine also hit on the vehicle. The driver, another man, and a woman were all detained during the search. Officers found two handguns and a shotgun inside the van. The individuals told our investigators they were here to deliver documents to the U.S. Supreme Court. A pipe and containers were also found in the van. So the Capitol Police Hazardous Incident Response Division did a thorough research, or search, I should say, and cleared the van. The driver is 80-year-old Tony H. Payne, P-A-Y-N-E, of Tunnel Hill, Georgia. He was charged with 40 U.S. Code, Section 5104, Unlawful Activities, for bringing the weapons to the Capitol grounds. The woman and the other man were briefly detained, were not arrested. This update is uh, is complete. Now, let me just say this. doesn't mean that they were there to do violence. We don't know. Uh, it's interesting that the other two who were with the 80-year-old man, a man and a woman, they were not arrested, at least not yet. Now we want to go to our guest, Blake Masters, running in a crucially important Senate race in Arizona. 
Blake Masters, how are you, sir? Doing well, Mark. Thank you very much. We're surging in the polls. Uh, I'm the underdog in this race, absolutely. But you know what? We've got the momentum. I think we're on track to win this thing. Do you think, I mean, this guy is spending a ton of money. A ton of money is being poured in, mostly from out of state, dark money, billionaires, and and and, and uh, dark money groups are pouring it into the state. They've, they're trying to protect this seat. Now, my sense of uh, your opponent is he woke up about 60 days ago and realized he has a race on his hands, and now all of a sudden he's tough on the border. Uh, he's concerned about the price of gasoline and all the rest. Hasn't he voted for every damn Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer bill that comes across the table? That's exactly right. You know, there's two Mark Kellys. There's Campaign Kelly, which is what we're seeing a lot of now. Uh, he pretends to be a center-right Republican all of a sudden. He's been focused on the border. He's concerned about inflation. No, no, no. Then there's D.C. Kelly. And when Mark Kelly's in D.C., he just gives Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden whatever they want. He literally votes to the left of Bernie Sanders. So, yeah, look, Mark Kelly's got a lot of money. He runs a lot of commercials, TV ads that lie about me, TV ads that lie about his own record. But I think people are seeing through it. Because Mark Kelly can lie all he wants. Doesn't change the fact that we've got a wide open southern border. We've got crippling inflation, the highest in the greater Phoenix metro in the country at officially 13%. And we're seeing violent crime just rise under this Democratic administration. That's why people are going to be looking to make a change big time in November. I mean, if people really do want to make a change in reverse course and send a message to Biden and the Democrats... They have to vote for you and oppose this guy because this guy is one of their is one of their foot soldiers. And we see them all over the country. These are Democrats in the United States Senate. He hasn't fought to close the border. He hasn't fought against the high rise in crime. He hasn't fought against illegal immigration. He hasn't fought so that you have more fuel in uh, in, in Arizona He not done any of these things. I assume that the people of Arizona want a fighter who agrees with them. And that's your point, right? And tell me where you disagree with this guy. Well, I disagree with Mark Kelly on so much. I mean, he is just enabling Biden's agenda. Like, just look at the economy. And it's like, man, are they, are they just really incompetent? Or is what we're seeing worse than incompetence, right? That's an interesting parlor game to play. But it's like, what did these geniuses think was going to happen, Mark, when they destroyed our energy independence? If you declare war on fossil fuels, war on oil and gas in a country that's still mostly powered by oil and gas, gosh, do you think that might make the price of energy shoot up? And it did. They took gasoline from $2 to $6. Now they want a metal because in Maricopa County, it's you know back down in the fives, mainly because Biden is selling out oil from our strategic petroleum reserve, compromising national security in a desperate bid to suppress gas prices before the midterms. So they surrendered our energy independence. They made energy too expensive. That causes inflation in the economy. And then they printed and spent $6 trillion. Obviously, that was going to cause some inflation. So they're responsible for this. We don't have to wonder where it came from. It came from the Biden White House. And Mark Kelly, no matter what he says now, he voted for all of these policies that are making Arizona families suffer. And here's the thing about Arizona. Arizona's in... Many respects, not everywhere, I got it, but it's a lot of desert. You're particularly vulnerable to massive increases in fuel prices because you have to import so much of it. 
you're particularly vulnerable to open borders for obvious reasons. So Arizona, even more than many other states, is especially vulnerable to Kelly and Biden and Schumer and the left's agenda. Is that not right? That's right. We bear the brunt here in Arizona of the twin crises that Biden and the Democrats have caused. The first is this crazy open borders crisis, the illegal immigration crisis. And the second is this inflation economic crisis. We're getting hit hard here. And Mark Kelly could have put a stop to it. You know, he was he he pretends that, oh, he's just one of 100. No, he's the 50th vote and has been for the last two years. He had tremendous power. He could have used that leverage. You know, sometimes Senator Sinema, I think she's too left wing. I'd rather have a conservative Republican. But if you have to have a Democrat, you want it to be Sinema, because sometimes she goes to bat and stands up for the people of Arizona. Mark Kelly never uses his leverage. And he could have. He could have blocked Biden's agenda unless and until Biden delivered border security. He had that power to do it as the 50th vote. And he didn't. Mark Kelly chose to leave our border wide open. And as a result, four or five million illegals have come here just in the last 21 months. You're so right. He could have been the guy, rather than people focusing on Manchin and even cinema, he could have been the guy who said, look, I have enormous amount of clout here. And you're going to have to get past me to get some of these things done. And he could have tried to even, you know, bring them a little bit to the center, even though I don't agree. I mean, we have to defeat them. But he didn't even try. He went along with everything. So let me ask you a question, Blake Masters. Can we hold you over till uh, after the bottom of the hour? Yes, absolutely. If people want to help, it's BlakeMasters.com. BlakeMasters.com. We can win this race, America. And if you're in Arizona, I endorse Blake Masters. It's very, very important that you get out and vote. Ignore the media. The media are against us. Besides, you despise them. Do the right thing. Save your state. Help save your country. We'll be right back. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals, and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit fastgrowingtrees.com for details. Welcome back, America. Arizona is a crucial state, ladies and gentlemen. We got to be able to elect Republicans from Arizona again and conservatives. That's the tradition of the state. It's a state that needs to secure its border in order to secure America's border. It's a state that's that's always been involved in our national defense and so forth and so on with Barry Goldwater, among others. 
The problem with this guy, Kelly, is he's not even your typical Arizona Democrat who tend to be moderates. He's a leftist who pretends to be a moderate. He was an astronaut, so everybody assumes he's not a leftist. Well, he's voting for Joe Biden's agenda right down the line, which is the most leftist agenda in modern American history. How did your debate go, if uh, much of the nation may not have been able to see it, Blake Masters? Well, I think it went pretty well for us on the Republican side. You know, not even the uh, fake news left-wing media could pretend that Mark Kelly won that debate. That's how one-sided it was. You know, Mark Kelly, as we discussed, he lies in his television ads, right? But there's no one to fight back in a TV ad. Well, I was there to fight back on the debate stage. And so Mark Kelly literally tried to say, hey, I've been focused on the border since day one. I've done all that one person can to secure the border. And at first, Mark, I got to tell you, that made me upset because he was just lying. But then I realized he was walking into a trap. And so I said, oh, really, Senator? Well, if that's the best you can do, I think Mm -hmm. you should resign because you must be the worst and most ineffective senator of all time. It didn't work. The border's wide open. So I Mm -hmm. think we put him on the ropes a little bit. And how could he defend his votes, his agenda? It's, It's Biden's agenda, and it's indefensible. How's your ground game look out there? Oh, it's great. We've uh, between us and allied, you know, uh, outside groups, we've knocked over 600,000 doors in Arizona, mostly in Maricopa County and Pima County. Uh, I, you know, we have grassroots energy. Look at the rallies that Carrie Lake, our fantastic gubernatorial nominee, and I are doing. We're drawing hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people. Uh, you look at a Mark Kelly rally or a Katie Hobbs rally. She's the horrible candidate for governor here. They can't even get 50 people in a room. There's no energy on their side. And that's why I think if we work hard and sprint and just really play that ground game, that grassroots for the next 20 days, I think we win this thing. So I take it early voting has begun? Yes, it has. Mm -hmm. And uh, do people know where to go? Is the Republican Party assisting people so you can get these people to the right place? Yep, I think so. I think we're we're doing the best that I've seen. I think the party is firing on all cylinders. And, you know, I got to tell you, a lot of our people, yeah, they're getting their early ballots. But what so many people are waiting to do is cast a ballot in person on Election Day. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I'm recommending to people to do. It's, of course, fine to, to drop your drop your vote off early. But a lot of people want to go and cast their votes this time the old fashioned way on Election Day. And so I think, uh, you know, early Tuesday evening, November 8th, it might look like Mark Kelly is is winning. It might look like Katie Hobbs is winning. But as those election day votes get counted later on in the evening, I think we're going to see a groundswell of in-person day of Republican votes, the likes of which we haven't seen in Arizona in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I just hope people vote. If they vote early, it's fine by me. Now, I'm not the candidate, but what I've been telling people is that we should exploit these these systems the Democrats have wrongly put in place. So just get out there and vote and then do one That's other right. thing, whatever it is. Yeah. Just vote. And then go find 10 friends to vote. Exactly. Shake these people awake. There's hundreds of thousands of people who voted for Trump in 2020 in Arizona, who by default are not on track to vote in this midterm, you know, cause so many more people vote in the presidentials than in the midterms. Well, this midterm I think is as important as any presidential election ever. This is a save the country election. And so everybody in Arizona needs to go find those people. They're your friends. They're your colleagues. They're your family members. Shake them awake and get them to the polls. Tell them the stakes and have them vote Republican up and down the ticket so we can put a stop to the madness that we've seen for the last 20 months. 
just briefly tell us a little bit about your background because you know what the democrats try to do and their media try to do is they try to create monsters out of everybody who opposes their candidates they're racist they're anti-semite there's something wrong with them and so forth and so on so it's tough to get to the substance and then they protect their your opponents so tell everybody a little bit about you well most importantly i'm a father of three i have three little boys they're eight six and two my wife and I, we homeschool these boys, which is such a blessing. We're so fortunate to be able to do it. Uh, homeschooling is not for everybody, but I'll tell you what, Mark, that feeling of being in charge of your child's education, mm-hmm. that feeling is for everybody, no matter what kind of school you send your kid to. Uh, and I'm just looking to, to save the country for these boys. I think my kids and your kids and grandkids, man, they deserve to be living in a country in a few years that works and in an America that's still recognizable. And so that's why... Uh, I put aside my business career. I come from the technology sector, investing in startup technology companies. And so that's an interesting and important lens that I'll bring to the U.S. Senate, right? How do we do more with less? How do we actually uh, become good at technology in the U.S. government? But really the perspective I bring is that of a young father. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than most U.S. senators. I'm 36 years old. The average age of a senator is 64 and a half. And so that mm-hmm. new perspective, here I am in America in 2022, raising young children. And I don't like the trajectory that we're on. And we need to make a change if we want to shore up this country and the blessings of liberty for our our posterity. That's what motivates me. And that's the perspective I'll bring to the U.S. Senate. So what are the big three or four issues that you're running on for, uh, for Arizonans to focus on? This wide open border, and there's many facets of that, right? The illegal immigration, the fentanyl coming through, just the the loss of our sovereignty is really crazy. Well, there's also inflation, of course, 13% in the greater Phoenix metro. I suspect if we measured properly, 20%, uh, just just crushing, crushing inflation. Another thing I'm running on is crime. Homicide in Phoenix is up 50% since 2019. Homicide is up 87% since 2019 in my hometown of Tucson. That means almost double the number of people are getting murdered. And you've got the left-wing city councils trying to defund the police out here. I mean, it's really, really crazy. And then, you know, there's education. I think it all goes back to education. You could solve the border crisis. You could solve inflation. It's going to be tough, but you can imagine solving those problems. If you don't stop the indoctrination that's happening in our schools, though, then it's just a matter of time before all these problems come back again and with the vengeance. So I want to get the federal government out of education. I want to reduce the size and scope of the federal department of education until we can eliminate it. But we need to ban critical race theory and this toxic gender ideology, right? School choice. Let the parents decide. When parents can choose, they will choose reading, writing, and arithmetic every time over this left-wing, woke social social ideology. So we got to protect our kids. we got to make life good again for American families. I take it uh, Mark Kelly's bought and paid for by the teachers' unions, and he really doesn't have a problem with all this uh, this really troubling stuff that children are being exposed to in our classrooms? Of course. He will never speak out about biological boys and men in women's restrooms and girls' bathrooms. He'll never speak out about mandatory COVID vaccines for young people, even though that's not what the science suggests makes sense. He'll never speak out against critical race theory or gender ideology in our schools. And that tells you that he is owned by the teachers' unions. Absolutely. And one last, uh, Second Amendment. Uh I don't hear much from him on the Bill of Rights generally, but what about the Second Amendment? Do we know? Yeah, I think he's the biggest gun grabber in the U.S. Senate. 
you know, they're clever enough not to make that an issue in this election, but I talk about it every chance I get. Mark Kelly is a gun grabber. You've got Joe Biden right now bragging about his plans to ban so-called assault weapons. Well, no, what they really want to do is ban all semi-automatic firearms. They want to confiscate your guns. This is the party of defund the police, right? And they don't want the police there to protect you. Well, they also don't want you to be able to protect yourself. And and Mark Kelly will sign on to any uh, gun confiscation bill that Joe Biden puts in front of him. By contrast, I'll be the most pro-Second Amendment senator there is. All right. This is uh, Blake Masters. He would be a... The superb senator. The Republican primaries are over, America. We've got to unite. We've got to win. Uh, the opponents are they're trying to destroy the country. There's really no other way to put it. And if you want to help, first of all, vote for Blake Masters in Arizona. But you can also go to BlakeMasters.com, BlakeMasters.com. Voting has started. And so not only should you vote, you got to do something more. Maybe work a uh, phone bank, maybe stuff envelopes. But you know what I do? I pick up the phone. You got a lot of people on your phone uh, list, bookmark, call them or email your friends. Do something. Be the uh, Thomas Paines of your community. Go down the street. Talk to some of your neighbors who you know of like mine. Just make sure they vote, that they don't forget. It's that important. Any final words, my friend? That's it, Mark. My message to Arizona the last 20 days is, hey, look around you. If you like the wide open southern border and all the fentanyl and illegal aliens, if you like paying too much for gas and groceries, if you like this violent crime, hey, there's a U.S. Senate candidate for you. His name's Mark Kelly. Give him more years in office. He'll deliver more of this chaos and pain. But if you and your family think you deserve better, and I do, man, vote for me because we need to stop this crazy Biden train wreck and turn things around. Thank you so much. I saw you on TV. How tall are you? Six foot three. I think TV might make me look even taller. Well, it made uh, Kelly look uh, squatter, <laughs> shorter and wider. Quite a contrast. Quite a contrast yeah. there. Yes. All right. Good luck to you. Very much so. Thank you, sir. Let's go win this thing. All right. God bless. Lake Masters. There you go. And we are planning fantastic Sunday shows on Life, Liberty, and Levin the next three Sundays in a row. I'm changing the format somewhat so we can get more candidates on this time. And then we'll change it back to to the kind of format that I like. But there's still going to be long-form interviews. This Sunday, we're going to have the fantastic Ted Cruz. Not that he's running, but we'll start with Ted. Then we're going to have hopeful future Senator Shabaka from Alaska. Then we're going to have hopeful future senator from New Hampshire, Bulldog. They may be outspending us, but there's no reason we can't give these people as much exposure as possible. Because you know what's fascinating? These are great candidates. Bulldog's a retired general. Uh, you look at Blake Masters, he's a self-made man. You look at all these people, Dr. Oz, they're just fantastic I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Here we are. We pack a lot in this show. I said we need four hours. That fourth hour is in great demand, especially in New York. Are you aware of that, Mr. Producer? You heard that too? I am hoping you parents are still motivated. We need your help. I hope you're still organized. 
now more than ever. This is the election. I hope you pro-lifers are more organized than ever before. We need you now more than ever. I hope you Tea Party enthusiasts. I hope you're ready like never before. Convention of States. I hope you're ready like never before. We need to pull all of our forces together. All of them. Do what you need to do with your base. Do what you need to do with your members. Do what you need to do with your supporters and all of you. Whether you drive a truck for a living or a taxi or an Uber. Whether you're a mechanic or a plumber or electrician. Whether you're a bricklayer. Whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse or a janitor. Even some teachers. Whatever it is, your walk of life. If you're a retiree, whomever you are. Jew, Christian, Muslim, atheist, agnostic. Straight, gay, I don't care. We need to support the Republicans. We need to support the conservatives. We need to defeat these people on the left or they're going to defeat us. They're going to destroy our way of life. I know what I'm talking about. These people are serious as a heart attack. They've already started. The question is if we can claw our way back. At a minimum, we need to crush them. Crush them in 20 days. At a minimum. At the ballot box. And if you have early voting, I have my own take, which is, what are you waiting for? They're not waiting. I'm going to vote early the first day that Florida allows it on October 26th. First in line. Do whatever you want, but that's what I'm doing. And for God's sakes, make sure everybody you know who's one of us votes. For God's sakes. Patriots. It's now or never. We have a caller, Mr. Producer. What was the name? Grace, Long Island, the great WABC. One minute. Go right ahead, please. Hey, Mark. All right, one minute. Three quick points. First of all, I am terrified of what Biden's doing to our oil reserves. I'm terrified of what's going to happen after the election. And I'm tired of this man spitting in my face and telling me that it's raining. Everything he's doing, he's doing to bring down this country. And as far as January 6th, I will never forget that witch Nancy Pelosi at a press conference when she was asked about towns being burned and people being killed and lives being destroyed. She said, people will do what they will do. And they forced the zeitgeist. Uh, I remember that on the right. Grace, I've got to go. Excellent two points. Can't wait to hear your third. Call back. We salute all you heroes out there. God bless you and thank you. I am blessed with you people in the audience. We've got to stick together, folks, and we've got to act. And we'll see you tomorrow. God bless. God bless.